NPR. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Patty Hirsch. And I'm Adrian Ma. Who in the world does not have a favorite comfort food? Maybe yours is chicken soup or mac and cheese. Maybe it's rice and beans or sausage and cabbage. Yeah, comfort foods are often dishes with humble origins. They're usually made of inexpensive staple ingredients, and they're easy to make or cheap to buy. In the UK, maybe the most iconic comfort food is also something a lot of people consider Britain's national dish, fish and chips. That is, for the uninitiated, battered and deep white fish with fries. It does make me wonder why they don't call it fish and fries, because it is kind of catchy also. It's not that catchy. And plus, fries are French, <laughs> and, you know, we don't hold with the French in Britain. Okay, okay, fair enough. But the important question here is, Patty, how do you actually like to eat your fish and chips? Well, I'm actually pretty traditional. I like cod with a sprinkling of salt and vinegar on the chips, although sometimes I do go a little wild with a squirt of Thousand Island dressing. You know what? I don't like to yuck anybody's yum. Well, how about you? I, I can get down with a little uh, tartar sauce action. Yep. Tartar sauce, traditional, yeah. Yeah. Well, fish and chips is kind of a staple in the UK, or it has been in the past. But the aftermath of the pandemic and raging inflation is really changing that. Fish is now expensive. Thanks to rising energy prices and interest rates, the cost of running a fish and chip shop is soaring. And those costs, of course, are being passed on to customers. The result? Fewer people are buying fish and chips, and fish and chip shops all over the UK are closing. And this means that one of Britain's favorite foods is fast turning from a staple into a luxury. So on today's show, the demise of the great British fish and chip shop. Why these restaurants in particular are feeling the squeeze right now. And what happens when a staple of a country's diet becomes a luxury. That's coming up after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery, and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from Capital One, presenting sponsor of the 2024 Tiny Desk Contest. Earlier this year, unsigned musicians from around the country submitted their original songs for the 10th annual Tiny Desk Contest. The panel of judges are hard at work picking standout entries, and you can follow along and choose your favorite videos as well. The winner gets to play their very own Tiny Desk concert, then headline a tour with NPR Music this summer. Want to come along for the ride? Visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org to learn more, then check out the Venture X card from presenting sponsor Capital One. Earn unlimited 2x miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. By any measure, fish and chips are an integral part of the British culinary landscape. 22% of Brits visit a fish and chip shop every week. And Brits spend roughly $1.5 billion on fish and chips every year. That's a lot of potatoes. And there are more than 10,000 fish and chip shops in the UK. The vast majority are independently owned. And most are these takeout joints where you just kind of take your meal out wrapped up in paper. Yeah, the British call these places fish bars. And they often have these cute names like the Friar Tuck or the Oh My Cod. Or in the case <laughs> of the one around the corner from my mum's house in Bournemouth, Chips Ahoy. Perry Godfrey's the owner. The shop's been a fish and chip shop for nearly 70 years now. When I took it over, it was very run down. 
and we build it up in the last 22 years and thankfully we're very successful and um, we keep going from day to day and keep improving hopefully. Hopefully. Perry says the fish and chip business is coming under some intense pressure right now. Economy at the moment, the prices are ranked up. Oil, just to open up per day, it cost me £50 just in oil. Fish, fish has doubled in the last, over the last five, six years. Um, energy, of course, we know all about energy. Packaging is another uh, cost. Fish and chip shops are these small businesses that operate on razor-sharp margins in an intensely competitive environment. But over the last few years, the cost of every part of the fish and chip shop's owner's business has soared. Yeah, and there are a lot of factors to point a finger at here. There's the war in Ukraine, which drove up the cost of vegetable oil and also the fuel to heat that oil. And the UK government has also raised interest rates, which has translated into higher rents and more expensive loans. Yeah, whatever the reason, over the last couple of years, all of that pressure has sunk dozens of fish bars all over the UK. Perry says he's been able to weather the storm for a variety of reasons. His is a family business, and he's been able to pivot to making a lot of his own products, like coleslaw that he used to buy. By far the biggest, though, is that he doesn't have to pay rent. I'm a lot luckier than most shops. Um, I'm lucky to have the freehold of the building, which means I haven't got to pay a leasehold. Most shops do pay lease and you have to pay rent. And unfortunately, that price has got to go onto the, uh, the menu board. Yeah, in some shops, the price on the menu board has risen to eye-popping levels, though not at Chips Ahoy just yet. Perry has managed to keep the cost of a medium cod and chips to just under eight pounds, which is around 10 bucks. But I've seen fish and chip shops charging a lot more than that. In at least one case, double that amount, more than $20 a head. And that's for a meal that's traditionally been a staple of the British diet eaten by people on low incomes. If you go back 25, 30 years, you know, fish and chips were very, very cheap. Yeah, this is Duncan Weldon. He's the Britain economics writer at The Economist newspaper. And no judgment, he likes curry sauce on his chips. That sounds all right to me. If you compare the cost of fish and chips to something like the cheapest meals at a branch of McDonald's, they were very, very comparable in price 20 years ago. Whereas now, you're saying you're spending two and a half, three times as much on buying your lunch at a fish and chip shop than compared to a McDonald's. You know, that takes it from being a staple to being essentially a luxury item. I have a friend who has a, a saying, is, oh, it's as cheap as chips. I mean, but that's not the case anymore. Yeah, you know, cheap as chips, a bit of a misnomer nowadays. Fish and chips used to be so essential to the British diet that during the First World War, the government made safeguarding supplies of fish and chips a priority. And during the Second World War, it was one of the few foods not restricted by rationing. These days, though, the government is not so inclined to provide that same degree of support. Fish and chip shops are besieged by competition. Their supply lines are not being guaranteed or subsidized. Brexit hasn't helped. The two types of fish that the Brits prefer dipped in batter and fried are cod and haddock, most of which are fished outside of British waters these days and have to be imported. We catch a lot of mackerel in British waters, but the British people have never particularly liked mackerel. And, you know, um, importing and exporting fish has become a lot harder after Brexit because of all of the sort of checks on fresh produce. And as the cost of cod and haddock has risen and been passed on to the consumer, those British consumers have actually sought out cheaper alternatives to fish and chips. 
the big thing you see on high streets now, which have really grown over the last couple of decades, is sort of cheap fried chicken places. Often not Kentucky fried chicken, often something like Tennessee fried chicken or, you know, something something not copyrighted. It's partially to do with the fact it's um it's much quicker to cook. It's partially to do with the fact that chicken is just a very cheap, easy to source um item. Whereas, you know, fish is becoming um, more expensive. More expensive to the point that it's now bordering on a luxury. And this story of a staple becoming a luxury is not a new one. It happened to oysters in New York in the 1800s, to sushi in Japan, to caviar, brisket, lobster. <laughs> you just named like all the delicious foods. What's going on here? I'm just trying to make the point here that economics often drives long-term changes in diet and taste. And that right now the UK is going through a big change with this staple, fish and chips. Duncan Weldon sees it too. My takeaway is that, you know, we are past the world in which you would expect every British town and every village of any sort of size to have a fish and chip shop. We're going to see far fewer than we used to. You know, they're going the way of banks, post offices and pubs, which you used to think of just the absolute staples of the high street which are now becoming, you know, increasingly rare. And, you know, it's, it's a big change in the fabric of sort of small-town village British life. Now, before people go out and start, like, panic buying fried fish and chips, <laughs> this does not mean that the fish and chip shops are going to disappear, like, overnight altogether. No, no, the dish is still hugely popular in the UK. And the restaurants are kind of part of the fabric of the community in a way that fast food chain joints are absolutely not. In Bournemouth, Perry Godfrey says the customers who visit his fish and chip shop certainly see things that way. They want to come in, they like a bit of a chat, and um, that's the atmosphere we provide. You know, you take some notice, interest of their lives. So it's not just a, a food product. It's, it's all, you feel like a social worker sometimes because there are people with problems out there. That's probably what I do in my job. He's not exaggerating. You know, I sat outside Chips Ahoy for about 15 minutes on a Friday evening and watched more than 40 customers brave the pouring rain to get their fish and chip fix and to chat to Perry as he handled their orders. You know, they were all crammed into the place, laughing and swapping stories. It was like they were out for a night at the pub. And Perry, he looked as though he knew every one of them by name. This episode was produced by Corey Bridges with production help from Robin Lavies and engineering by Sina Lafredo. Fact-checking by Sierra Juarez. Kick and Cannon edits the show and the indicators of production of NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Employees are the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers group dental, vision, life, and disability plans designed to protect them. Exceptional service, broad networks, and modern benefits. That's the power of human care. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast.